I'm standing on the side over there, and I've, I've been good this whole morning. Everything's fine. Like, I've got a word that I'm, I can't wait to share. Um, and I'm just standing over there worshiping, and um, I start hearing, you don't have anything to say. You don't have a thing to say. Um, and I, I share these things with you because I, I want you to um, just like realize just because I stand up on this stage doesn't mean that like I'm this pillar of faith guy that like, you know, looks down from my stage among all you lesser people and I've got it all together and in my family, like we're just devoid of struggle. When I go home, like Sky's got all the clothes folded and the food's made and the kids are sitting quietly reading Leviticus for the third time this morning. Um, like we're just real people. And I, I don't mean to say that to diminish my identity in Christ whatsoever because I know that I'm victorious. And I know that sin doesn't have a hold on me. Even when the enemy tries to tell me that. But before we get started this morning, I just needed to kind of, I, I guess, confess that. <laughs> that I'm standing over on the side feeling like I've got nothing to say. And then what's so cool about the Lord is if you'll just, like, like there's this moment, and maybe you understand this because you've been there before. Um, maybe you've never stood up on the stage and, and you've been at that place where you feel like you have nothing to say kind of thing. But maybe um, you're, you have like a, a, a moment of like fear or uncertainty in your life, whether it's in your family or your job or like, you know, what am I going to say when someone puts me on the spot about my faith or, you know, whatever. I don't know what, what that might be for you. Um, but we all have opportunities where fear or uncertainty begins to present itself. And, um, and that was a moment that I just experienced over there where um, the enemy just subtly whispers, you, you've, you got nothing to bring to the table, man. You got nothing to say. And, um, and then the Lord is just so good that when we, when we quiet our hearts and we just say, you know what, that voice doesn't sound like the Lord's. I'm just gonna listen for a little bit longer. All of a sudden, I hear, yeah, that's right, <laughs> You don't have anything to say because I'm going to say it. You're going to get up on the stage, but I'm going to say it. And so I'm standing there thinking that. And my mom comes over and she goes, I feel like I need to pray for you right now. And my wife and my mom just lay hands and start praying. I didn't tell them anything. I get done, I walk up here, Josh, it's like the Holy Spirit's like 
orchestrating this thing, right? So, (laughs) um, I just needed to share that with you this morning because I, I want you to know that every single one of us, me and you, in this whole room, we're constantly hearing things. And uh, I just want to share with you this morning um, how to walk in a, a sound mind and a sound heart. It doesn't mean that it's devoid of wrong voices <laughs> or wrong thought, thought processes, but what we're given is an opportunity to agree with right thought processes and right words. And so um, that's what I want to do this morning. <laughs> um, I know that a message uh, isn't going to change you because it wasn't a message that changed me. And there's never been a message that has actually changed anyone. I mean, Jesus preached to thousands and thousands walked away. What changes us is when we actually receive the truth from the Father directly. When, when we open our heart and our mind, it, it, it changes us when we receive what he wants us to say or what, when we receive what he says to us. And so that's what I want to share with you about this morning is that the Lord wants you to take possession of a sound heart and a sound mind today. And um, there was a guy in scripture who, who did that pretty well. He, he was very transparent. He wore his thoughts um, kind of on his sleeve and, and we get to see a lot of that. Uh, we're gonna be looking in Psalms uh, today. King David wrote quite a few of them. And we're looking at one that he wrote in, in Psalm uh, chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can go ahead and turn there. Um, let's take a quick survey. How many of you talk to yourself? How many of you talk to yourself out loud? How many of you talk to yourself in your head? but not necessarily out loud. I, for those of you who say you talk to yourself, um, whenever that voice speaks, is it mostly positive or mostly negative? Let's, let's take a, um, I guess, a continuum. You know, like when you have those little f- circles that you're supposed to fill in, mostly positive, somewhat positive, n- neutral, somewhat negative, always negative, or whatever. How, how many would say, um, whenever you hear your voice talk about yourself, it's mostly positive. Good. Somewhat positive. Neutral. 
somewhat negative, mostly negative. It's okay. We're all friends here. Um, David was a guy who, who wore his emotions uh, for most people to see. Even though he was a king and he was supposed to have it all together, uh, he was very quick to um, express himself in words. And um, what I want to share in Psalm chapter 16 is, is one of these places where um, uh, he, he's given insight into um, the Lord's words. Not that all of scripture isn't, but this is just one of those like, just one of those like home run moments. Um, and I like to think of this Psalm chapter 16 as a, uh, I like to call it a declaration. Um, it, you'll notice depending on what type of translation or whatever you have at the very top, it says a miktam of David. Um, we actually don't know what that means. Um, I like to pretend it means declaration. Um, but, but for me, um, declarations are important because it's an opportunity for us to speak what we know to be true. To speak what we know to be true. And in this, um, uh, like theologians and, and people who um, know a lot more than me, uh, say that this was written during a time of turmoil in David's existence. I don't know if there was war or whatever that was going on, but there was turmoil in his life. And yet in it, you read of this confident, calm, quiet spirit with which this is written. Um, and, and, and the purpose of a declaration it's, for, it's an opportunity for us to quiet our soul, to reorient your identity back to true north. Um, like I said, sometimes whenever we talk to ourselves, it can be very negative. Um, I'll just be real honest. If you let your, your soul, which is kind of like your, your internal DNA, uh, if you let that run wild without agreeing with the Holy Spirit, <laughs> um, I, I never go inside and come out good. <laughs> I never go inside and come out refle- refreshed and I'm like, yes, I got this. Um, unless I'm agreeing with what I know to be true in Scripture and what I know Holy Spirit is saying about me. Um, so David w- understood this. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit in this psalm to um, possess, get this, Jesus's thought patterns in a prophetic way. Because Psalm 16 like exemplifies uh, Jesus. If you read, especially down at the bottom, because I don't know that I'm, I'm gonna be able to get to all of this stuff, um, but you're, you're gonna see that, that this, uh, this passage exemplifies Jesus's identity and God empowered David through the Holy Spirit to speak this in a prophetic way hundreds of years before Jesus ever stepped on the scene. And so it's what's true of David, it's what's true of Jesus, and this is what's true of us. And so this is an opportunity for us this morning to take the thoughts 
just like what I was hearing on the side, you got nothing to say. Whatever your thought is this morning, you're not a good dad, you're not a good husband, you're not a good wife, you're not a good this, you, you don't have this together, whatever. This is an opportunity to declare the truth of Jesus's identity over your situation. Because those of us who are in Christ have an opportunity to receive his identity over whatever our situation is. And so that's what I want to share this morning is Jesus's thought patterns in a prophetic way through David hundreds of years before Jesus ever stepped on the scene. When we exercise a declaration, we're simply acknowledging what was true about Jesus and accepting it as true over us because we are in him and he is in us. So this is what David, this is how he ministers to himself in this moment. So let's jump in. Psalm 16, verse one, it says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Preserve means to watch over. Conceptually meaning like, God is actually seeing us. He's seeing our affairs. He's overseeing what we have going on. He oversees our life. And so David isn't playing with God. It's not like in the middle of adversity, David hits his knees and goes, God, just show up, do your thing. I don't know what to do. No, he says, God, watch over me. Preserve me, God. Because in you I take refuge. Refuge means to hide. The root means basically to be concealed. By the way, total side note, when we were coming in this morning, I don't know if you noticed, but there was been dense fog the last two Sundays. Um, I think spiritually speaking, like sometimes the Lord just speaks fun stuff to me in nature. And, um, and I don't know if you were here last week, but there was like some real breakthrough <laughs> that happened in some people's lives. And, and I think it was almost like a telltale sign of having fog these last two weeks where, where the Lord is saying, like, there are some people who um, are not comfortable being concealed by God. They're not comfortable being hidden by the Lord. And they look at that fog as something scary because we all know that when you go into fog, you can't see very far which means there's possible fear, uncertainty, danger, whatever. It's kind of like on Mount Sinai, when the people of Israel go to Mount Sinai and Moses goes up the mountain and it says God's spirit descends on Mount Sinai and a thick cloud and heavy smoke and lightning and all that kind of stuff shows up. And Moses is up there by himself with God. He walks straight into the cloud. He comes back down and all the people of Israel go, hey Moses, you just tell us what God said. We don't want to go up there. <laughs> and the whole time, if you look back in Scripture, God is inviting all of Israel to be a priesthood. He's inviting all of them to commune with God the way Moses did. That's been the story from day one. He wants us to commune with him in the fog. Now, to the world, that looks crazy. But to us, we know that there's no more certain and sure place to be than in the middle of the thickness of his presence which to the world looks confusing. Anyway, that was side note. Um, it says, uh, I take refuge. Um, it means to cover and to, to conceal. 
Um, so, like, the, the way that I unpack that is, is basically, um, this is my version of that. Uh, you, you watch over me as I hide in you, or I let you cover me. I'm recognizing, God, that you watch over my life because I want to watch you. I will let you conceal me and hide me and cover me, i.e., kind of like what the Holy Spirit did at Pentecost. Hey, God, conceal me, cover me, so that, that what people see is not me, but it's you. Um, this was uh, true I love how God illustrates it through like little just things, even in my own story. But um, for a few, a couple years, um, my daughter, Lily, um, she is, uh, and this is the importance of speaking life over your kids. Like my son, Liam, is the wild man in the family. Um, My daughter, the world would say she is shy. I say she's contemplative and quiet. Understand the difference in that? Anytime she says she's shy, I say, no, honey, you're not shy. Because shy means you're scared. You're not shy, you're quiet. You're quick to listen and slow to speak. That's what scripture says. So next time your kid brings you a lie that they're believing, smack that thing down with the truth. Um, so anyway, my, my daughter uh, is, is quiet and she's contemplative and she's been that way her entire life. Um, and when she started going to school, um, I was the one that 99% of the time took her to school and I'd walk her in and I still do even to this day, she's in third grade. And um, uh, I remember the first two years for sure, maybe almost even into the third, um, I would walk her in and there would be um, multiple moments where when the teacher or someone in the school, would come up to her and say, Lily, uh, how are you doing today? Da, 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 and, and, and just wanting to know what's going on. And what does Lily do? She immediately steps behind me. She hides <laughs> in me. And um, it's almost like she's saying, like, Dad, would you watch over this for me? Because I'm not sure what's going to happen. None of this person's kind of scary. And what I would do is I would stop and I would kneel down and I have these very vivid memories of looking her in her beautiful brown eyes and they're kind of welling up with tears and she's basically needing assurance like this is going to be okay. And I think that's what the opportunity that the Lord is affording us and one of those promises that he's given us in this passage is man, when, when you start to see uncertainty or fear or something that you don't understand begin to creep in, all you have to do is go hide in the Father and just wait for him to look at you because he's looking. You just look at him and you say, hey, God, watch over me because I'm going to hide in you. It's knowing that that he's in our situation, that he's present in every single thing that touches our life. He's there. He's present with us. It's what should come natural to us. You see, in that, it's neither fight nor flight. Once again, we're, we're told uh, um, 
a lie, I think, in that, is that when you're in a circumstance that's uncertain, you're going to either fight or fly. Well, what if we didn't do either one of those things? What if we just said, hey, God, will you watch me as I hide in you? Hey, God, will, will you cover me? You see, our basic instinct when, ha- when having a right identity results in us standing because we remember who he is and who we are in him. It's an opportunity for a place of rest. He goes on, he says, I say to the Lord, you're my Lord. I have no good apart from you. I mean, watch this. Like, look, leave that verse up there for a minute. Um, that the first word, Lord, I say to the Lord is capital, all capitals, L-O-R-D. It's not on the screen, but that's what it is. It's in all caps, Lord, you are my Lord. If you ever see uh, the word Lord in the Old Testament in all capitals, does anybody know the word for that in the Hebrew? It's Yahweh. Yahweh. This is the, um, the name of God that basically means I am the self-existent one. I am that I am. And so David is saying, I say to the self-existent one, you are my Lord. Lord in uh, capital L, lowercase O-R-D, which, which basically means Adonai or authority. So I say to the self-existent one who doesn't need anything, I'm coming under your authority. You don't need me, but I need you. You don't need me, God, but, but I need you because you are the very definition of good. I have no good apart from you. Understanding, like David got this concept that God was the very definition. It, it meant that, that God isn't defined by goodness, but goodness is defined by God. He is the very definition of goodness. He's the measure of goodness. David was basically saying, God, when I come into alignment with you, when I start seeing on your plane, when I rise up into a place of goodness, which is where you exist, when I see on your plane, the encounter that I have is only good. It's only good. Anything below God is unacceptable or unholy. Anything above God is impossible. What that means is that in every situation that we find ourselves, God's goodness is there. See, this isn't a place of like, of like me walking in less than situations or messed up like stuff or me walking above uh, in, in all of this like, like just floating on a cloud. This is me walking and you walking in the goodness of God. And when we encounter his presence, we actually see a manifestation of his goodness. We actually receive his goodness. So the next time that you encounter somebody that's not saved or that's messed up, addicted, broken, or whatever the definition you want to call it, what if you stopped going, 
I'm up here in God's goodness and you're down there. What if I started going, hey, God, how do I find your goodness right down here? How do I find your goodness in this situation? How do I experience or encounter your goodness in my family, in my work, in whatever, fill in the blank? That's what David is promising. Hey, God, I'm going to watch you. You cover me, and I will experience nothing but your goodness when that happens. Because you're the self-existent one, and I willingly submit to that. I willingly submit to that. You see, it's in verse 1 that verse 2 finds its truth. In verse 1, verse 1 has to exist in order for verse 2 to exist. You see, verse 2 is just theory unless verse 1 comes first. Think about this. For me to say, you're my God, you're my Lord, I have no good apart from you, that's only theory if you haven't first experienced what it's like to be hidden in God himself. You can talk about it. But if you haven't experienced watching the Lord and being hidden in him, covered and concealed, reminded of your identity, if you don't experience that, then verse 2 is only theory. David recognized that God, his presence came first, which allowed God to cover, to empower David to have a right mindset And then what his experience was outside of that was God's perfect goodness. That is powerful. Lastly, I just want to end with this. Um, Hey, Ashton, will you bring some Holy Spirit keyboard magic? He goes on to say this. I have like 45 pages of notes. But this is where I want to land today. He says, you won't abandon my soul to Sheol in verse 10. Or let your holy one see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy at your right hand. Our pleasures forevermore. Friends, what David was on to and what was confirmed by Jesus, when you look in the Gospels and you watch Jesus' life and how he lived, It's not Jesus going from encounter to encounter, from mountaintop to mountaintop. By the way, if you ask the disciples when they were walking with Jesus before he died, and you said, hey, what's it like to walk with Jesus? You know what they'd say? Dude, it's awesome. There's like blind people that are healed and lame that walk. And dude, I was on the mountaintop one time and Moses and Elijah came down and it was just nuts, man. And he's like multiplied food. I've seen all kinds of crazy stuff. You know what they're talking about? The encounters. But you see, Jesus didn't come to share with us 
encounters. They're fireworks. They're moments when God shows up in his manifest presence and those are powerful and they're important. But miracles in and of themselves are not what sustain us, friends. The miracles show us something about the miracle worker, about the self-existent one that is only good. And if I could summarize Jesus' mission was, yes, he came to save our soul and live a perfect, sinless life. But the overarching story of Jesus' life was that he was constantly in the encounter. And John, it says, I can do nothing apart from the Father. I only do what he does and I say what he says. And so what the Lord is inviting you and me into today is not to receive power to do miracles and, and, and to receive uh, confidence whenever like all of our world is crashing down and we just need it in that moment or, or to, to receive like a really timely word when you're trying to minister to that one person. You know, that's called performance, right? When you just want God to be the, the savior whenever you need it or whenever you think you need it, that's encounter to encounter. And those are fun but they're not what sustains us. What the Lord is inviting us into this morning is an opportunity to receive his presence always. Did you know when you walked in here this morning, you didn't need three songs to get ready to receive the word? You didn't even need me saying anything or preaching at you. Did you know that from your bedside, you can lay in your bed the moment that your eyes open and you go, Lord, I'm in an encounter with you. Thank you. Thank you. I bless you, Lord. I bless you because you give me counsel. I would encourage you to go through and read the rest of that psalm because it is full of declarations. It is full of of truth that we've got to own. But it starts by us willingly accepting the fact that you are in his presence now. Right now, exactly as you said. And you say, Father, I just received that in its fullness.